Good morning, Vine family. If you want to grab a seat, uh, it's encouraging to hear the buzz of conversation. Encourage you uh, after service to continue uh, welcoming one another. It's a great opportunity to connect, maybe meet some new people, um, maybe ask what someone's doing that you haven't seen for a bit. But definitely use these opportunities when we're together as a family to encourage each other, to welcome each other, as Christ has done the same with us. Well, this morning is the last Sunday of 2017, and it's kind of hard to believe 2017 has gone by so fast. Uh, tonight we'll be celebrating the end of one year and the beginning of a new year. A clean slate, a chance for new rhythms and new goals. And maybe you're the kind of person that makes New Year's resolutions, maybe you're not. I know there's a lot of jokes about how, you know, New Year's resolutions last for about two weeks and they're gone. And yet, I really do find that the end of the year is a good opportunity to slow down and just reflect back on the last year and what God's been doing what, what in your life to look ahead to 2018 and to ask, what do I want 2018 to be about? What am I aiming for? What, 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 what are the things I'm striving for in 2018 by God's grace? And this morning, I want to encourage us to think about something to aim for actually from the book of Deuteronomy the fifth book of the Bible. We'll be looking at chapter 17. And in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving a, a last charge to the people of Israel. We've been preaching through Exodus. We're going to see that eventually God's people get out of slavery in Egypt. They get to go towards the promised land. But there's a lot of hiccups along the way. And in the book of Deuteronomy, is about 40 years later. And Moses is, is about to die. And he has one last chance to remind the people of Israel who God is, what he's done for them, who they are, and what they're called to do in response. And in chapter 17, he's actually giving a charge to a future king in Israel. And so at first glance, we're like, why would we read about a king? None of us are kings in Israel. That's true. The Bible is not always written directly to us, but it is meant to be for us. There's things to learn here. And I think in the charge given to the king... And the priorities he's meant to have in his kingship, is uh, he's a leader. And so it's a model for us of what are the things we are to prioritize in 2018. And what we're going to see this morning is this call to depend on God in daily study of his word. So as to produce humble, dependent obedience that leads to blessing. A call to depend on God through his word to produce humble obedience that leads to blessing. And that's really what I want us to see this morning. And I want us to make that our goal for 2018, depend on God through his word. And this is really part of a three-week series. We're going to be looking at what does it really look like to be spiritually healthy. Because I think, sadly, too often, our spiritual lives get the least amount of attention we kind of just stick ourselves in neutral and hope it will go well. But the problem is that drift is always negative. Then when we stick ourselves in neutral, we're actually on a slanted hill and we end up in reverse. So I want us to call us to engage in our spiritual lives this week with God's word. And as Zach mentioned, next week with prayer and then with generosity. What does it look like to have these spiritual disciplines, which is really just spiritual rhythms, that you engage in for your health. And so we're going to look at this morning the command, the purpose of the command, and then the results of the command. So let me pray and we'll read our text and dive in. 
Father, thank you so much for carrying us through 2017. I'm sure in the lives of people here, there have been ups and downs along the way. And yet I pray that we could all look back and see your grace at work. That in good and bad, you have been at work to draw us to yourself, to make us more like your son, Jesus. So we pray that now you would give us ears to listen, that we might really hear and be shaped by your word to be people who depend on you through your word for our good and your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let me read Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 20. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So first, the command. The main command here is in verse 18, and it's unusual advice. Here's a king, and the first thing he's to do when he sits on the throne is to write for himself in a book a copy of this law probably the book of Deuteronomy or the the first five books of the Bible, which is what they had at the time. And you think, that's probably not the advice you would normally give a king. It's it's surprising. But in a day when books were few and far between, he was to write his own copy of God's word. And the Levitical priests would approve it to make sure that there were no errors in it. It would have been a time-consuming thing. But it wasn't just to be there as like living room decoration. Like when people come over, be like, hey, check this out. I wrote my own Bible. Pretty cool, huh? That's not the point of it. Look at verses uh, 18 It's going, 19. It's going to be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. It was what he was meant to meditate on, to, to read, to study, to think about, to chew on. That was his primary duty as king. That's what he was called to. And it stands in sharp contrast to all the things he was not supposed to do in verses 16 and 17. He must not acquire many horses for himself, or many wives, or much wealth. What's going on in this section? Well, all of those were alternative possible sources of power for a king to depend on. Many horses represented military power. Horses were used for cavalry. For chariots, it gave you a military advantage. Many wives was connected to politics. The the way you got political alliances back in the day is is you married daughters or sisters of other kings. And 
And you acquired all these political alliances, which gave you more political power. And of course, much wealth is economic power. That's clearly what you build a kingdom on. Military power, political power, economic power. That's what all the great kings have done. And yet God says to that, no, no, no. You won't build your kingdom on military power. You won't build your kingdom on political power. You won't build your kingdom on economic power. You're going to build it on me. You're not going to chase any of those things. Instead, you're going to read a book every day. That seems so strange, right? And yet, this call to read a book is really the call for the king to depend on God. Because it's God's book. God's saying to the king, I want you to read and remember who I am. And all that I've done to bring you and your people to this place. I want you to read to remember who you are and what you are called to do. You're going to read as a sign that you are not the ultimate authority. I am. Even though you are the king, you read my book and you submit to my rules. Because you know who I am. And I'm good. And I have good for you. That's what you're called to do. But this call wasn't really just for the king. Although the king here is primary role model number one. But earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 3, God's talking about all the things he brought them through. And he says that this was so that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is for all the people. What is going to get you through the day? What will sustain you? What will empower you is my word, says God. Depend on it. Read it. Meditate on it. It's a call not just to read, but it's a call to read as a sign that we are under his authority, depending on him. That's the call. So think about the decisions we make in life a lot. How often when we're faced with a, with a decision, we tend to think about how it's going to impact us financially, how it might impact our relationships. We, we maybe do all kinds of research on it, but how often do we pick up God's book and say, what does God have to maybe say about this? We all probably know the right answers we're called to depend on God and read his word, and yet... Why is it that it so often doesn't show up as much as it should? I was challenged by this myself this past year, of God reminding me and pointing out, hey, you're not depending on me like you're supposed to. You don't have time to read your Bible because you have too much to go do for me. But what are you thinking, Michael? How can you go off and do things for me if you're not depending on me and spending time with me in my word and prayer? And yet, I don't know about you, but... It's still a struggle here, isn't it? To depend on God, to pick up his book as if it's the most important thing. And, and I don't want you to hear, here's this legalistic rule, this standard. If you just check off all the right boxes, then you're set. It's not about a certain time, an amount of verses you get through. It's about having a heart that says, God, I need you. And so I want to hear from you. And that's why I'm picking up this book. And, it's, and it's, it's about saying this is the most important thing. And so whether it's in the morning for you or at lunch or at the end of the day, is there a time in your day where you're saying, I just need to hear from God 
today? Or is what you're scrolling through instead Facebook or Twitter? Or the news? Or the sports? Or catching the last five minutes of that Netflix episode you didn't quite finish? Not that any of those things are inherently bad, but if those things are keeping you from spending time in God's word, what we're saying is, that is more important to me than God. To get through this day, I need my social media checkup more than I need to hear from the God who made me and calls me his in Jesus. Where our time is spent that blocks us from God's word indicates what our hearts are relying on more than God's word. As a famous British pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who one time was speaking to medical students about the importance of being in the word, and one of them said, but, but Dr. Jones, you just don't understand, as a medical student, we're so busy, we don't have time for God's word. And he said, nobody, nobody doesn't have time for God's word, except maybe mothers with small children. Um, and he said that, I think, a little tongue-in-cheek, because I think it is good to remember there are different unique seasons in life, Right? There are seasons in life where you can wake up in the morning and spend an hour just soaking in God's word. And there's other seasons in life where maybe, depending on God, is reading your Bible in the bathroom for 10 minutes while the kids are banging on the door, right? It's not about how much time you're spending. It's this. Does the time you spend in God's word reveal that your heart is hungry to depend on God? Is that what's characterizing your life as you move into 2018? A daily dependence on God through his word. And that command is given for a purpose. Command to depend on him is given for a very specific purpose. In verses 19 and 20, we read that as you read into all the days of his life, that, the word that shows purpose, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. That's the purpose. Well, well, what does it mean to fear God? Well, I think it's always helpful to read things in context. So we see that right away, fearing God means keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Fearing God means obeying him in part. That, that's the fruit of fearing God. And actually, you see that show up in Proverbs chapter 8, where Solomon writes this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate that. That to fear God is synonymous with hating evil. It's saying, because I care so much about what God thinks, and I see him as holy and powerful and worthy of awe and reverence, I'm not going to go against him. I'm not going to cross him. I'm not going to go into evil. I'm going to align my heart with him. That's what it means to fear God. And fearing God is so important to keep us obeying his commands, to keep us listening to him and dependent on him. Because if you're proud, you don't listen. You go your own way. And that's why fearing God, reading his word to fear him, is so connected with dependency. It's not just that we read as a sign of our dependence on him. We read to learn more about who he is, to fear him more, so we become more dependent on him. More aware of our need for him. More aware of our call to walk in his way and obey. So when we read in our Bible, maybe the book of Job, 
And Job finally gets God to come answer his questions. And God says, okay, Job, let me just give you a few questions first. Where were you when I made the world? Do you make sure that all the animals are fed every day? Do you make sure that the water comes this far and no farther? What about you, Job? And Job has to say, you're right, I'm not God. And he learns to fear God and humble himself. Or maybe it's reading through the prophets. And you hit Isaiah 6, where Isaiah the prophet has a vision of God in the temple. And he sees just the hem of his garment, right? Like, just the hem. And the angels who are there can't even look at God, but they have their their eyes covered. And Isaiah has to fall down and worship because he saw the hem of God's garment. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips. I need you. That's what is meant to happen with us. Or when we read the story of Jesus dying on a cross and we remember that God is so holy that he would even send his son to die to pay the cost. As we read that, we're meant to realize who God is, that he's great and we're not, that he's worthy of praise and we're not, that he's good and we're not, but also that he's loving in ways that blow our minds and we're not. And so we depend on him. And so then we're controlled by fear of him, by love of him, so we don't disobey And that's why also Moses says that one of the effects of reading will be in verse 20, that the king's heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn either to the right hand or to the left. So you think about a king could easily start to think he's better than everybody else, right? He's got the position. And yet in God's sight, we're all equal. And so Moses says, if you read, King, about how big God is and how small you are, you're not going to be thinking you're so much better than your fellow Israelite. Because that gap is so much smaller than the gap between you and God. There's no, there's no grounds for boasting. God knows all the stars, King, and calls them out every night by name. And you rule a tiny little kingdom in the Middle East for 30, 40 years if you're a really great king. Do you have any grounds for boasting? How can we boast one against another when we see how great God is and how small we are? It'd be like if two swimmers sat down and said, well, guess what? I'm pretty sure you could swim about 50 miles across the Pacific Ocean before drowning and dying, but I could do 50.1 miles before drowning. Like, really? Like, why are you boasting in that? The gap is too big. It doesn't matter if you can go that tiny bit farther. You're still falling short. There's no room for pride and arrogance. And if you get rid of pride, you're less likely to turn to the right or to the left. Because you're humble. You're learning dependence on God. You're learning to listen and follow only his way. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 echoes this. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's the only thing worth boasting in. And so if you're looking into your life and you're seeing pride or a lack of reverence for God, that should be a check engine warning light that you're not in this book enough. You're not seeing him rightly. If you're noticing pride or comparison towards other people, 
That's a warning light that you're not in this book enough. Learning what it means to be humble and fear God. If you're seeing in your life ways that you're turning to the left or to the right from God's commands, that's a warning light that you're not spending enough time in the word. Because as the old saying goes, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. This is, what it's, this is something serious at stake. In verses 16 and 17, when, when Moses was telling the king what not to do, he said, here are the consequences. We don't want you to return to Egypt to go that way again. And we don't want your hearts to be turned away, he says. What's at stake is your heart being turned either towards God or away from God. And frankly... I'm burdened and saddened that too often it's too common for people that have spent time in the church who drift away from God, I think because they weren't ever spending time soaking with him in his word. And so we need God's grace. We need this community. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us to get back in this book so that we can learn who God really is, that he's holy and we're not, that we're sinners and we need to be saved. And so if there's pride in your heart, if there's sin in your heart, or if, if you can look back at this last year and can't think of one area in your life where God has convicted you of sin and you've grown in, that should be a major warning sign that you're not in this book enough. You're not learning what it means to depend on him. You're not having your heart tuned towards him. So let's not, all, let's not just read the book as a sign of depending on him. Let's read it to grow in depending on him to produce obedience. And then beautifully third is the results. Look at verse 20. Look at this beautiful promise for the king, and then we'll think about what it means for us. But for the king, it was so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. See, back in the Old Testament times, God's people were one nation, the nation of Israel. And they had a physical land. And that land was a place, a symbol of God's presence and blessing with them. And to be part of that people, to be part of that family, was a sign that God was with you. So for the king to to be able to reign a long time and, and pass on the kingship to his children would be a visible sign of God's blessing on him. But what does it mean for us today who don't live in that land and who aren't kings? Well, the thing is, the kings of old failed this. And so Israel was sent into exile. But one day God sent a perfect king, born from amongst his brothers. And this king always, always depended on God. He left the crowds early every morning to spend time with his father. He never said anything or did anything that the father did not call him to do. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, he resisted all other forms of power and depended only on God and the word. He never strayed to the left or right. He didn't build a kingdom with economics or politics or economics. In fact, when he stood before Pontius Pilate, he said, if my kingdom was of this world, I could call down angels to free me. But it's not. I'm building a different kingdom. I'm building a kingdom through my shed blood, said Jesus. Because I want to bring in outsiders into my kingdom. Rebels, I will die for them so they can trust in me and become part of my family. 
be part of the kingdom of blessing. And so even us today, we have this for us, that we too, if we trust in Jesus, even if we're not nailing this passage perfectly, can actually know that in him, there's blessing. We, we sang about it. And on that day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall dwell with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere his people be. All glory be to Christ. That's the blessing that awaits us, being part of his family and one day him coming and seeing him face to face in a world with no more sin and no more sorrow. That's the blessing for those that depend and trust in him. And it's not saying, this passage, that the way you get in is through Bible reading. I don't want you to hear that. But when you trust in Jesus for salvation because you know you're lost without him, one of the fruits of that is you say, well, I want to hear from him daily. I want to depend on him for the strength every day to walk his walk. And so you pick up your Bible daily. Not to get in, but because you are in his family. It's what Jesus said, right? I am the vine. You are branches. If anyone abides in me, they'll produce much fruits. So abide in my word. That's how you abide in Jesus, is through his word. So what are you going to depend on in 2018? What will anchor your life? Is it God through his word? Maybe some of you this morning don't have any regular life in God's word, and it could be because you're not actually a believer in Jesus. You don't, you don't yet trust in him for salvation. Maybe you're still exploring. Maybe you have questions. We're so glad you're here, and I would just encourage you, pick up this book. Maybe read the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John and say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Read it. Meet him. Trust in him and walk with him. Maybe some of you this morning would consider yourselves Christians, but you have no regular life in the word. And not only that, but there's no desire to be in the word. Your heart is cold. If that's you this morning, I'm urging you, that is a major check engine light spiritually. This is not good. You are not in a healthy place. And if you don't change, if you don't learn to trust and walk with Jesus daily through his word, maybe you might be the branch that bears no fruit and is cut off and thrown into the fire. Maybe some of you here this morning are believers and you have some life in the word. Maybe it's really regular. Maybe it's somewhat regular. But even, even this morning, God's stirring up in your heart this desire to be more in the word. Praise God. That is so good. And you know what? Our God is gracious. Even if your life in the Word isn't what you want it to be, He loves to take cold fires that have just a little bit of spark in them and fan them into flame and grow them. And He can do that even this year in your life. And so how? How do you grow like that? Well, let me just give a couple quick things to finish up. First, pray, pray, pray. Ask God to give you a desire to be in the Word. Ask God to reveal Himself to you and your need for him, not just for initial salvation, but for every day to walk with him. Pray. Second, get into some kind of rhythm. It doesn't even matter what rhythm. It just matters that you have a rhythm, a habit. Find a time, find a place, find a plan. 
Habits are hard to build, but once you build it, they are so helpful. And regularity in this will really, really help you. And if you miss a day, that's okay. Just pick back up and keep going. But start to build in a regular habit of being God's word. Third, if, if you have a hard time, you read your Bible and you're like, I don't even know what this means. There are tools to help you. Ask your city group leader. Ask another Christian you know. Ask one of us on staff to, to give you some tools and resources to help you so that that isn't the obstacle for you. But also, we talk about community here as a big value. I don't know about you, but working out on my own is really hard. Working out with someone, a lot easier, right? It's like that cold morning, you don't want to get up and go to the gym, but you know like your friend's waiting for you, so you get up. Grab someone and say, hey, would you be willing to read with me this year? Maybe we're doing it on our own, but let's read the same plan together. Maybe it's a family member, someone from Citigroup, a Christian in your workplace. Do this in community. It will help you. And last, let me encourage you to maybe consider a, a short spiritual diet to jumpstart you in this way. So about six months ago, my family did the, the Whole30 diet. So you cut out a bunch of things. It's meant to kind of cleanse out your system. You eventually reintegrate stuff. But for us, the biggest gain was realizing we could eat healthier than we had been before. We, we, could, we could create new rhythms in our, in our physical diet. And I'm, I want to urge you to think about the same thing spiritually. If you're having a hard time to be in the Word, maybe take the month of January and say, you know what, I'm going to cut some things out. Not because they're necessarily inherently bad, but they are distracting me. They've given me an appetite that isn't for God's Word. So I'm going to cut them out for a season to grow my appetite and hunger for God's Word. And I think a huge one for our culture is entertainment. Maybe turn off Netflix for a month. Or stop scrolling through social media so much. Or maybe don't worry about the news as much. And train yourself to love eating, tasting, meditating on God's word. So then if you do integrate those back in, you still have the hunger for God's word. So I challenge you, maybe consider that in January. Just to help jumpstart you. Whatever you do, friends, I just want to urge you, in 2018, depend on God daily through his word so that you grow in depending on him to produce obedience that's for his glory, but also for your good. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, that you are not a God who has left us to wander around in the dark, wondering who you are or what you want from us. But you've revealed yourself. And so help us to listen. Help us to, to hunger more for you and your words. Stir up whatever is going on in our hearts for an appetite, a taste for your word. So that it would produce in us humble, dependent obedience. For your glory for our good, but also as a testimony to the world around us that we would be marked as different, not depending on other things, not searching after other riches, but finding blessing and joy in you and pointing out to people, this is where our joy and hope comes from. The God who made us, who became one of us, who died to save us and rose again and offers life in his kingdom. Pray this in your name. Amen.